you know, when we do this, uh, it feels like we are kind of worshiping our country rather than worshiping the Lord. And I hope that we would never think of that. I see it as celebrating a gift that God has given us, right? Because America is a gift. And I truly believe that the hope of America will not be found in the White House, but in God's house. And that, that doesn't diminish who's in the White House at all. I think we should be very engaged politically to the, to, the, to the point, I think when Christians are truly engaged, we will have a vital impact in the political process. And so it's important for us to be reminded that God has created us to live in a country that will truly be blessed by the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We're going to find that in Psalm 33. If you want to turn with us to that, it's in uh, the Pew page, Pew Bible page 868. And this is another one of those psalms composed of 22 verses, which highlights the Hebrew alphabet. Now, it's not an acrostic like we saw last week in Psalm 34, but it's sending a message. And that message is that everything that can be written or said is not enough to explain the expanse of God. Isn't it amazing that with our alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, whatever alphabet it is, just information and knowledge, ideas, just continues to increase and increase and increase. But the psalmist is saying, even with all of the letters of the alphabet put together in every different configuration, it will never be a complete explanation about the expanse of God. When it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord in Psalm 33, verse 12, it's reminding us that everybody has a God, but only the Lord is God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Why would the psalmist say that? Because every nation had a God. And you remember the, the issues of the Old Testament in which the Hebrew people are waging war against surrounding nations coming against them, and every one of them had a God. The belief was that wherever your location was, there would be a God there, but it had boundaries, it had limits, it had to stay right there. And so you had this God here, and that God there, and this God over here. Everybody had a God. And then the psalmist is saying, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, for there is only one. Back in 1956, some of you are old enough to remember when it happened. Some of you remember back in history. But 1956 is when the administration of President Eisenhower adopted a new motto for our country, and that is, in God we trust, which is stamped on so many of our buildings, it's on our currency, and it's a reminder that if we want to prevail as a nation, we must put our trust in God. Everybody has a God, but only the Lord is God. And that's why God would say, in the beginning of the Ten Commandments, there is no other Lord except me. Are you serving another God today? Say, well, I don't have any idols up on my fireplace mantle. I doubt that you would. But you could be carrying an idol right there in your wallet. Credit card, money, the idea that money will make you happy, the idea that success will bring everything that you desire. It could be that your God is in physical health, and so you look really good on the outside, but maybe not so good on the inside. Maybe your God is self. It's just the autonomy. 
I really think that we are seeing that the, the autonomous individual is usurping everything else in our country today. It's all about self. And when Jesus said, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, he was saying there's only one God, and that is the only way to find true abundance in life is to follow him. Everybody has a God, but only the Lord is God. And then it goes on to say that God's blessings require fear, reverence, obedience, and trust. It says a nation is blessed if the Lord is their God, but the only way to experience that blessing is as we continue in the psalm to see through fear, reverence, obedience, and trust. Look at verse 8 with me in Psalm 33. Let all of the earth fear the Lord, let all the people of the world revere him. Now, the psalmist was flipping the script there because, as I just said, every nation had their own God. And so what he's saying is, let everyone in every region, in every nation, in every location, fear the Lord, let all the people revere him. For the word of the Lord is right, it says in verse 4. He is faithful in all he does. So we fear God meaning that we have this holy reverence for God. It doesn't mean that we walk around as if we are scared to death. I scared, Pappy. That's what my, one of my granddaughters says. I scared. That's not what we're talking about. It's having a reverence for God, an understanding of who he is and all of his majesty. It says, in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name, to have fear, reverence, and to obey what he says, believing that he is truly God. God is worthy of our praise. And just as we we're talking with the kids, we have been, every one of us here, and everyone that you will ever meet, to the most ardent atheist you will ever see, they were created to worship God. We were created to worship God, and God is worthy of our praise. Merchandise that doesn't do what it's supposed to do uh, is you, could be, is, isn't doing what it's supposed to do or used incorrectly is much like what I was talking about with the kids. It would be using a phone to drive in a nail instead of a hammer or picking up a hammer expecting to make a call. This last week, our electric lawnmower went out. Now you're saying, oh, you must be one of those greenies. Well, I'm one of those people that do everything I can to improve the environment, but I worship God more than I worship the environment, okay? And our electric mower went. The reason we got an electric mower is because uh, we were watching our neighbor with an electric mower, and I thought, it's so quiet, and it seems so easy, and it does it such a good job, and you don't have to get gas. And so we bought one last year, and I had mowed the yard. One of the few times I mowed the yard while Michelle was over with her mom and dad. And I'd mowed the yard, and the next time I went out to start it up, batteries were fully charged, and it zipped nothing, absolutely nothing. And so I went back to Lowe's, and they told me that there was a warranty, but I had to get in touch with them. All of that to say, it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. Friends, sometimes we are like that mower. We're created with this purpose of praising God and worshiping Him, but we're in, enthralled with other things, and we don't fulfill the purpose for which we have been created. Look at verse 10. It says, The Lord foils the plans of the nations, meaning that He goes beyond the boundaries of Israel. He is the Lord of all. It says the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purpose of 
the peoples. God can't be thwarted in anything that he does. See, God uses whatever vehicle he needs. And the truth is, God can drive a, ha a nail in with a phone or his fist or even with his word. God doesn't have any backup plans because he never needs a backup plan. All through COVID, God never suffered supply chain issues. Never happens with God. God is all-powerful. And when we look at the nations with so much sense of power and authority, Zechariah 4, 6 reminds us, it's not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Look at verse 7 for a second, just talking about the, the majesty of who God is. That's what the psalmist is trying to convey, is that we would sense who God is in all of his majesty, and thus we would worship him. Look at verse 7. It says, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. We put a message in a bottle and throw it into the sea, but God puts the seas in a bottle and sends a powerful message. God is able to put all of the seas into a single bottle and store it however he wants. What the psalmist is trying to remind us is that fear, reverence, and obedience, and trust are trademarks of maturity. They're byproducts of a vital and growing relationship with Christ. And when we have those dynamics working in our lives, we will have the better discernment for life. Mariah is our youngest granddaughter. And again, thank you for all of your support over these last weeks uh, as we have gone through the process of uh, saying goodbye to Michelle's mom, Mimi, and having the service this last Thursday. So all the grandkids were down for that. And little Mariah is approaching 14 months and she gets into absolutely everything. So you have to keep an eye on her continuously because she has no discernment. She's not mature. This week, uh, while they were at Papa's house, which is not childproof, by the way, she cut her finger digging through a drawer that had some sharp items. She got a Band-Aid and then was trying to put the Band-Aid that was protecting the cut, she was trying to pull it off like a little puppy dog, trying to pull it off with her teeth. Later that day, she found another drawer, and what happened next still makes me laugh. The adults in the room all had their hands full, and somehow she found in one of the drawers a lighter. You know those lighters that you light grills with and candles? So she grabbed that. <laughs> Sorry. She's just as happy as she can be with a lighter up in the air. And then our daughter calmly but loudly said, Mariah has a lighter. Still makes me laugh. There's just something about a picture that's wrong when a 14-month-old kid is walking through the house with a lighter. She had no idea what she was doing in either one of those situations because she isn't mature and she cannot discern what is wise and best. And it works the same way for us spiritually. If we don't mature in our faith, 
through a greater understanding of who God is to embrace the magnitude of who he is, we will hurt ourselves and we will cart around things that could be catastrophic to everyone around us. See, that's why the psalmist is jubilantly calling us to the magnitude of who God is. Not just to see it, but to experience it. He's calling us into the very magnitude of God. So what is our point of refreshment today? When the Lord is our God, we will sing new songs. Look back at verse 3. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Verse 3. New song, this is one of six times in the book of Psalms that we find. The idea of singing a new song. We see the same concept once in Isaiah and twice in the book of Revelation. And some of you, even now, as we see this verse, are saying, I don't like those new songs. But it's more than that. It's saying that we should have new experiences with God that foster and warrant and require new songs. See, in the 16th century, Martin Luther was going through a personal reformation as well as a Protestant reformation. And he wrote new songs because it was a new experience that, that fostered and required new expressions of worship to God. In the 18th century, Charles Wesley and Isaac Watts wrote new songs as the faith grew and they experienced new things. In the 19th century, Fanny Crosby, Fanny Crosby, with even out the benefit of sight, wrote hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs to express her love for God, and they became some of our most celebrated hymns. We think about today. We sing songs from people like Chris Tomlin and Phil Wickham, Pat, uh, Matt Redman, the Gettys, Keith and Kristen. See, if we're not careful, we can get so comfortable in the familiar that we're not open to something new. And that goes way beyond music. John Piper said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. There is so much going on. So much that God wants to do in the experience of the Christian life. That's why Jeremiah would write, even in the midst of his travails. Why is it called Lamentations? Because it's a book of, of lament. And it would say in verse 3, that very familiar passage of Scripture, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. You see, reverence for God is not confined to hushed tones and silence. Verse 3, it calls for a shout. It says, sing to him a new song, play skillfully, and shout for joy. Many of us have heard shh in church more than amen. And you can say amen to that. That's not what the psalmist is saying. I understand we all have different personalities, and we have, to, we have to be guarded with that. 
You know, I love how John Ortberg talks about Swedes, and some of you are Swedes, and, and you know Swedes tend to be very reclused. And he says, you always tell who the extrovert Swede is because when you are standing in a circle, he's the one that's looking at someone else's shoes. We all have different personalities. I understand that. But within us, there should resonate this sense of enthusiasm about who God is even if it's not manifest in ways that seem terribly demonstrative. I will tell you about one experience that reminds me of this, is our third granddaughter, Lydia, likes to be loud. She's kind of like one of those supersized meals. Before she could speak, she would just scream. She would scream as loud as you can go on the human volume scale. It pierced your ears. But what made it unique is she wasn't mad, she wasn't frustrated, and she wasn't screaming because she wasn't getting something she wanted. It was just expressing her delight in life. So she would unleash this ear-piercing scream and then just smile with great satisfaction. That's what the psalmist is talking about here. It's just finding that, that sense of satisfaction and joy in God. And we do it all the time outside of church. While working in my office, I can often hear the roar of adults at the Little League fields as they begin to scream and applaud over their child or their grandchild getting a base hit or making a great play or just getting a walk and not striking out that time. They're excited about what they're seeing and experiencing, and they just can't contain it. And that's what the psalmist is talking about here. It's calling us to do the same thing. You know, I, I had one of these moments this week. Thursday, doing my mother-in-law's funeral was one of the hardest experiences of my life. All through that week, trying to prepare, it was just one tear fest after another. And I knew that that would not be a very efficient way to have a funeral. Just to blubber and to cry and take all the attention off of her, it'd just be a mess. But I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. I just kept on praying, God, would you steal my emotions, just steal my emotions. I kept on watching that video that we played at the end of the service, just such a tear jerk, and I just kept watching it over and over and over, trying to get all the tears out, and they just wouldn't stop. I remember standing over in the green room. I don't know why they call them green rooms, but they have a green room at the church where the funeral was. I was standing in there, and I was just looking at this poster that it has, the great I am. I said, God, you are the great I am. You are the great I am. Please steal my emotions. And then I went through that service without shedding a single tear. And when I got finished, I was just everywhere I went. I said, God, I've experienced you in a new way. I've experienced you in a new way. You, you have blessed me. You have revealed yourself to me. And I didn't come up with a new song because I'm not a songwriter, but it was a new song for me because I'd experienced God in a new way. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. Let me ask you, are you experiencing God in new ways? 
in the monotony of your mundane life, are you experiencing and seeing God in, in new ways? The psalmist is challenging us to do that. If you gathered with us today and you're not yet a Christian or listening online, you can't understand what I'm talking about until you realize that God loves you and he has created you to have a relationship with him. The most familiar passage of Scripture in all the Bible is John 3.16. And it tells us that God has created us to be in relationship with him. That's why Jesus came. And John 17.3 tells us that eternal life is not checking boxes. It's not following a to-do list, but it's having a relationship with the living God. God has offered that, but because of our sin, we can't have that on our own. We can never be good enough to enter into right relationship with God, but that's why Jesus came. Thankfully, he can make us right with God. We can be changed, and we say changed. I know some people that need to be changed. We can be changed to experience these kinds of things that the psalmist wrote about. We can be changed for all of eternity by humbly repenting of our sins and completely surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to join me in a prayer in a moment. And I will say very forthrightly, please know, this is not like term life insurance, that you sign on the line with a prayer and you're done. You know with term life insurance, you sign on the dotted line, but you keep paying week, month, year after year after year. It's much like wedding vows. You say, I do, but you don't walk separately away from the altar. It's the beginning point of a relationship. And so as you would voice a prayer similar to this to enter into a relationship with Christ, it is a reminder that it's the beginning point, the birth point of having a relationship with God. And for all of us as Christians, do we have that shout? Do we have that rejoicing? Do we have that sense of growth and excitement in the Lord? If not, say, God, would you change me from the inside out? So let's pray. God, we thank you that on this Independence Day weekend, we can be reminded that the only way for our nation to truly be blessed is for you to be our God. And we know that's the only way that individual lives are blessed is when we fully surrender our life to you and you are our one and only God. If any of my friends listening now have never received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would voice a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. So many of us in this room are already followers of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give us new and fresh experiences that foster a need for a new song within us to express the newness of our relationship with you. Lord, that we would be people that shout, whether it's an ear-piercing demonstration of what's going on in the inside or just an internal shout that resonates with all that we have, that you are God. And we are so thankful for that. Thank you for this country that we call America. 
God, we look on it as a gift from you, founded on the principles of the opportunity to express our faith in you. Help us as a house of worship, houses of worship all across this land to recognize that our calling is to be salt and to be light. And if we see a nation that is decaying, may we be mindful that maybe the salt has lost its flavor, has lost its potency. And we pray for spiritual awakening. Lord, those of us that pray for a nation to return to you in a way that maybe we never have before, we recognize that what we desire is far greater than what we so oftentimes see and hear as a pathway to a greater land. We know that freedom is not found in the unbridled expression of autonomy. Freedom is found when we die to self and we surrender to you. When we follow after you, not only individually but collectively, we will experience abundant and eternal life. So God, we ask you would help us as Christians and churches to make this a nation that is blessed because you are truly our God. In your name we pray, amen. Love you all, and thanks for listening. If you've made a decision during this time or want some help in making a next step in your relationship with the Lord, I'll be standing over at the cross and we'll visit with you. You can also use one of these communication cards in the pew rack in front of you and just meet us at the communication center in the atrium after the service. At the end of each one of these major aisles, you'll find a deacon and his wife standing there. You can go and pray with them. They can answer any questions, pray with you, or just encourage you in your spiritual journey. So let's all stand together and let's respond as we conclude in worship.
bless you. Have a happy 4th of July and a great afternoon. <laughs>